This episode is exclusively sponsored by Manifest Commerce, empowering merchants with earth-friendly omnichannel fulfillment. Now, through March 31st, Manifest is offering no-cost onboarding, which is a $1,000 value for modern startup marketing listeners. Simply email nocarbon at manifestcommerce.io and mention the Modern Startup Marketing Podcast. The trend that I typically see is the first customer success hire ends up not actually being customer success, but customer support. And those are two completely different functions. And they say, well, this person can, you know, pick up the phone and answer emails and our chat, and they can also do customer success things. But that sets them up for failure. You can't combine uh, reactive and proactive work and expect that they're going to do both effectively. If you're looking to up your startup marketing game, you're in the right place. This podcast will help you simplify, prioritize, and see big wins from your marketing efforts. Every week, you'll hear from some of the world's best venture-backed startup founders, marketing leaders, and startup experts about marketing, brand, growth, what's working well, challenges, and how crazy and fun marketing can be when you're at a high-growth startup. See ya inside. Welcome back, everybody, to the show. And I have a bit of a different lens today that I'm very excited to bring you all. I have with me Megan Bowen. She is the COO at Refine Labs. She was the VP of customer success at Platters prior to Refine Labs. She was also the COO at Managed by Q. And she's held leadership roles at Grubhub and ZocDoc. You may have heard of these companies. So pleasure to have you here, Megan. I'm really excited to, like I said, have sort of like a different lens on, like typically I bring on folks, we talk about marketing, we talk about sales, and we don't really talk about customer onboarding. We don't really talk about customer success, retention, all that stuff. So I'm excited to have you here. Absolutely. And customer success is a great topic because actually marketing and sales have a big influence on the customers that are being acquired that the customer success team then has to work with and, you know, drive outcomes, retention, expansion. And actually, I think there's a lot of elements of marketing and sales that are part of customer success. So it's a great topic because I think we can focus on that, but I think it'll be interesting how different marketing or sales topics will get their way into this conversation inevitably. Inevitably, it always <laughs> happens. It's the modern startup marketing podcast, after all. So, I just wanted to mention that I have had other folks that are at Refine Labs on the show. So, MJ Peters is there. She's recorded with me episode nine. We talked a lot about voice of customer research and insights and product marketing stuff. And I also have Chris Walker on the show. He's episode 35, and it's called Over Prioritizing Sales Is Your SaaS Startup's Biggest Mistake. Whoa. Definitely listen to that one. So very happy to bring another wonderful person onto my show from Refine Labs. So let's get into it. Before we do, let me talk a little bit about Refine Labs. It's a demand accelerator for B2B SaaS companies. And you're helping companies increase marketing's contribution to qualified pipeline and revenue while lowering CAC. That's really all that they want, isn't it? Absolutely. And really helping our companies really transform the way that they measure and execute marketing and, you know, sort of abandon a lot of the old tactics that just aren't working anymore. And so 
in addition to driving those outcomes, it's a bit of a transformation process that we have to work with with our clients to go from the old ways to the new way. Yeah, that's part of the Refine Labs narrative, right? Strategic narrative too, which we could talk all day long about how successful that is, but we won't right now. We're going to talk about customer onboarding, customer success. So it's so important. This stuff is so important. Retention is so important, but we often with our marketing plans and with our marketing plays, we leave this part out. We're so focused on creating that awareness, Mm -hmm. creating demand for what we offer, getting new customers, right? But that leaves out something that I think is gold and really important part of the marketing plan. And I want to talk to you about that. First of all, let me ask, do you think that's the case? Like, is that kind of also where you've been at companies, there's a lot more focus on like acquiring new customers and like, let's do the best we can. And then we'll revisit that retention side later. Is that kind of what you've witnessed? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really interesting because when you look at even my career, when I was at ZocDoc, there was no post-sale function. And I was on the frontline customer support team and had to convince the company to build out the function that didn't exist. And after a little bit of time, they gave me the opportunity, which was incredible because that was the first opportunity I had to build a team from scratch. Then I went to Grubhub and it was the same story. We have a ton of customers. We have a great sales team. We have strong awareness, but we have no account management function. And so I built an account management function from scratch again there, did the same thing at Managed by Q. So these are brands that had already you know, achieved pretty significant revenue milestones, um, pretty significant brand recognition, and had really nothing. And at all of those companies, I built the function from the ground up. So that's been my repeated experience. And in every situation, it was like, wow, if we did this earlier, how much better would the customer retention and expansion be, you know, if if that infrastructure and that team had been built from the beginning? So when, since we're talking about timing, and you just mentioned, like, if we just did this earlier, like, when is the best time to start doing this? It sounds like you joined these companies that were pretty far along already, pretty sizable. When is the best time to hire someone to, like, if you're a startup dedicated to customer success, retention, like, a per- is it a person? Is it a team? Let's talk about that first. Yeah. And so I think as soon as you have customers, you should have someone that's focused and dedicated on this role. I'm a big believer in really initially investing in marketing, brand marketing in particular, demand gen to really start to drive awareness. I actually think there's a lot of benefit in having either a founder or CEO do some of the initial sales and selling, because I think that that actually really helps them clarify the product, the offering, the value proposition, like have real connection to the market if there's you know any semblance of product market fit. So I think one of your first hires, maybe beyond some marketing hires, actually should be customer success. And the trend that I typically see is the first customer success hire ends up not actually being customer success, but customer support. And those are two completely different functions. And they say, well, this person can, you know, pick up the phone and answer emails and our chat, and they can also do customer success things. That sets them up for failure. You can't combine uh, reactive and proactive work and expect that they're going to do both effectively. And so I believe, and even actually Mark Roberge has some great articles on this talking about how customer success should actually be the first real team you invest in 
when you have 10 customers, 10 to 100 customers. And then when you really start to get that traction, you can start to build out all of the other functions. But I think that's pretty rare these days. It is rare. Why is that? Why won't founders hire a customer success person? Is it because, well, I don't know. Why is that? I think because typically, you know, initial customer acquisition and top line growth has historically been the most important metric for any startup founder. And because that's how they're incentivized, that's what their investors and their board care about. That's what they're laser focused on. I also think potentially there is a lack of just, I think, appreciation, but maybe just understanding of what goes into a customer success role and function. I think people, marketing and sales, I think is a little bit more widely known or appreciated and like, oh, of course you need those functions where I don't think customer success is quite there. I also have seen, you know, founders and CEOs sometimes think that their product and service is like so perfect or good that no other support is needed. Like it's going to carry the day on its own. And typically that's not the case in early stage startups. It could be a really great idea, right? But there's typically a lot of product development or even service development that needs to happen. And even when that's the case, actually having a a full dedicated customer success team is critical there. So I think that that a lot of those factors play into it. But yeah, curious if you have a particular thought on why that's the case beyond anything I mentioned. So what I've experienced in the past is that customer success is taken over by sales because typically sales is the first to be hired. And so they're the ones that are kind of, they have a lot to do because they're selling, they're closing, and then they're onboarding and then they're making sure to, you know, keeping their customer happy because, of course, they brought them on. Right. And so you have to. <laughs> right. So that it puts it on the sales plate. Yeah. Not marketing so much. Right. Maybe marketing at a later stage. It's like, well, how do we make sure that they keep that we can retain them and what stories can we tell and all that? But it's really on sales to continue that relationship and keep it going. Yeah, I would say you're correct. If the CS function doesn't exist, it falls on sales or potentially some type of support function that they might have built out to. Yeah. Okay. So we realize this is a gap. (laughs) Let's talk about what are your thoughts for what goes into this role? Like it's a little fuzzy. People don't really understand. There's not true understanding yet. What does really strong customer success look like for a startup, like for early stage startup? people listening to this show, like they're thinking about it. They're like, yeah, I agree with you. What would you say are the top things to focus on? Yeah, definitely. So I think the first is calling out the distinction between customer success and customer support. And the way I like to break that down in the simplest terms is customer support is reactive. So when your customers are reaching out to you via phone, email, or chat with a problem or a question, you have built a team that can be very responsive to that and can address and solve those problems quickly. But that's customer support. That's not customer success. It's very reactive. Customer success is a very proactive role. The goal of the whole role is for them to partner with the customer to achieve the desired outcome. Why did the customer buy that product or service to begin with? It was a very specific reason. And very often, even if it's a technology or a software product, they need another human to help them effectively implement and leverage and utilize the tools to like achieve the full benefit. And so that's everything from the handoff to sales, owning onboarding, and then essentially ongoing 
retention of the account and what does that engagement look like? So that could be regular meetings and touch points. It could be auditing product usage. It could be partnering with them on strategic plans for implementation or utilization. Certainly I bucket, you know, upselling and expansion into the customer success world as well. Cause I believe it's really just a function of your product or service making good on what it promised. And that if there is an opportunity to leverage more of that product or service to get more of the outcome, it's kind of a no brainer for the customer to keep doing that if this is a priority for them. I think the other pieces on the customer success role, it's really positioning them as like a proactive strategic advisor for the client. So ideally they're subject matter experts in the product, the service, the industry that they're serving so that the client takes them seriously and really views their recommendations as a key input to the decisions that they have to make. A lot of times people conflate customer success and customer support, and it's not the same thing. And many people have the same team do both of those functions, which is, I mentioned earlier, I think it's a recipe for disaster. Yeah, that's critical. I think that first step is saying, okay, I get it. Customer success is very different from customer support. Mm-hmm. And that one is reactive and one is proactive. You got to start there in order to really understand then like, why does it matter? Who needs to be doing this? Who fits into both? If you're looking for both buckets, there's like a specific type of person that fits into one and the other, and they're different. And how to really think about this person as like a strategic advisor. So that's helpful. Is it like, do you hire one person and then later on that person kind of hires in more as needed? Or how would you go about in terms of like the team? Yeah, it's a great question. So I mean, starting with one person is totally fine. Typically, I would probably look to hire someone that is experienced in managing a team to be your first CSM. So not only can they actually do the role of the CSM, but that they can then grow into the leader and you can really empower them and hold them accountable to grow the function to a specific size. I think the number that you need is really dependent on the business and how many customers you have. One way to think about capacity and understanding how many customer success people you would need, depending on how many customers you have. I've done exercises where you can say, okay, for a particular customer, here is the ideal customer journey. And here are the key milestones in that journey and the deliverables and the key activities that we want our customer success manager to execute on to make sure that they're successful and that they're retained. And then you can actually break down a lot of those activities to really get a sense of of the time investment required for all of them. And then you can play that out to, you know, get some type of ratio of how many clients can a customer success manager handle if they're responsible for all these key activities and they take X amount of time. So that's just a framework. It's pretty straightforward. And I've used that a lot, especially when starting a team from scratch and really not knowing, like, can they handle 10 customers? Can they handle 100 customers? I'm not sure. Segmenting your customer base will typically come up as you scale the team as well. And that's another way to think about scaling customer success appropriately. Very often, your larger customers will probably need more engagement and handholding You might have a cohort of very small customers that might be very low touch. And so that also plays into your customer success strategy and how you want to continue to grow the team. 
Awesome. Okay. So we talked a little bit about like how that one person, or maybe you're thinking about a team, how many customers can they handle? Like a little bit about how you, the framework that you think about there. It's interesting because I just had a podcast episode today with Privy, the head of demand gen there. Yeah. And she was talking about how for their 2022 planning, a big part of it is looking at their funnel and seeing where there are gaps, right? Where there's that like, okay, we want the prospect to become a customer and then continue to retain them, but there's going to be a leaky bucket somewhere. So analyzing where that is, and then they realize like, okay, we need to really work with product to make sure that they don't like, especially if it's a product-led growth thing, right? That they don't drop off and not use the amazing parts of the product or not know about the amazing parts of the product. So it's a little bit in step with what you're talking about. Is this also something that you think that this person can do? And how do you mobilize like the rest of the team to become part of that solution if you do have like a retention problem or a leaky bucket problem? Yeah, definitely. And this is actually how I made a business case at ZocDoc to build a post-sale function. So I was on the customer support team and I was on the front lines, right? I was talking to doctors and patients all day, hearing all of the problems, solving all of the issues. And I was just watching how they were just hiring more and more support people because the more people that were using the site, it just converted to more problems. And then they're like, okay, we just need more people to solve these problems. And what occurred to me one day is like, so many of these problems we could probably prevent from happening to begin with. And once I dug into it with a business leader, I realized how big of a problem we had with churn, that the churn was pretty significant. And so in digging into that a little deeper, it was a really interesting process. Because I was on the front lines, I had actually identified like 10 key themes. Like almost every problem falls into one of these 10 buckets. And most of these issues are preventable. And then when I took that list and understood what we were hearing about when doctors were turning off of the site, there were a ton of parallels of the problems that I had identified and the reasons why people were churning. And so that then led us to essentially make the case that if we built out this team, they could solve all these problems and we could potentially make a real meaningful impact in reducing churn and improving retention, not to mention even just providing a better experience <laughs> you know, to both users of the site, the doctors and the patients. And so I think that the customer success org and, and whoever leads that team has a lot of really interesting insights that can surface problems that marketing might need to solve, sales might need to solve, product might need to solve. And so I think part of like, I always viewed my role as a CS leader as the voice of the customer and the person that had to raise these issues up and talk with the other teams to figure out how can we work together to solve the most important problems. And so I think part of that is doing different you know, loss analysis on why people churned. You can do quantitative and qualitative surveys to hear directly from customers about the good and the bad of their experience. And then what I have tried to do is really aggregate a lot of that data, synthesize it to really, here are the top things. There's always a million problems to solve. So you really need to focus on what are the most important problems that can be solved and then raise those with all of the teams and align on how you're going to work together to tackle them. But 
there has to be strong alignment. And if you're the customer success leader, but marketing isn't conveying the right message, sales isn't selling to the right customer, product is building things that don't impact the end user experience, like you're going to have the same problems in customer success. Everyone has to be on the same page. Right, right. That's a great story with ZocDoc and how like hiring more support people was not the answer to the problem when you found that the real problem was churn and then like figuring out what are those top themes and then figuring out how to solve that. So that's great that you shared that example. What would you say are the most common pitfalls? Like I think we talked a little bit about what are some things that are problematic where folks think that they don't need customer success, right? They don't need to worry about this early on. We'll handle that later when we have churn problems, when we have a leaky bucket. We'll wait until we're a $100 million company or 200 or 500 or whatever that is, right? Or they're going to hire customer support and say, like, that's customer success, right? Are there any other pitfalls worth mentioning here for that onboarding or success part of the process? Yeah, definitely. So onboarding is a big part of the first impression. Yes, they've you know engaged with your marketing. Yes, they've talked to a salesperson. But when they're going through the onboarding process, they've just made sometimes a pretty significant purchase and they're about to go through that. What I find is, um, number one, companies are not intentional about their onboarding process. So they just think, okay, like just get all of these things done and get them up and running without being really thoughtful on what the experience is going to be like for the customer. Also, oftentimes onboarding and some of the initial engagement is very focused on what the company needs and what's going to be easiest for the company and not the customer. So maybe there are um, you know, heavy deliverables that the customer has to provide in a short amount of time for them to realize the value of the product that might not even be realistic for them, right? So it's not being intentional and not designing onboarding as if you're the customer, but rather the company. So I think when you think about that, that's really important. There's a phrase called time to value, and which essentially represents how long does it take after they buy something for them to realize the value of why they bought in the first place. And this is another area where I don't think people are intentional enough. You know, at what point should the customer hit that time to value? Is it 30 days, 60 days, a year? And what are the key activities to actually get there? And then how are you communicating that value and validating that the customer agrees that that was valuable and that they got what they wanted? This is just another area where you know people are like, oh, we'll just meet with them once a month and do these things, but aren't thinking about the bigger picture of achieving these key milestones. I think another problem is you know, they create a customer success org and they're like, cool, just onboard and renew. And then they don't think about anything else in between. How are we engaging with them before the renewal? How are we, you know, positioning ourselves as a strategic advisor? How are we learning more about the future of the organization and how we can position ourselves, you know, to be an ongoing partner with them and for them to potentially invest more in us? So much of it is just either very reactive or company centric or they don't even really think to be intentional or explicit about designing certain areas of the customer journey. So those typically have been the ones that I've seen the most. And because I've built so many of these teams, those are what's really top of mind for me. So when you think about if I'm building a customer success org from scratch, it's like aligning with marketing and sales that we are targeting and selling to the right customer, right? 
it's really designing that onboarding experience that's going to be really powerful and give a great first impression, optimizing for time to value, and having an actual retention and expansion strategy that's more than just, hey, your contract's up in 30 days. Let's talk about renewing it. (laughs) So those are some of the key areas to focus on and getting those right are really important. So I imagine you're doing some of this stuff or all of it at Refine Labs. What are the pieces that you're really focused on right now and what have you not yet worked on? Because it's, you know, it's it's a work in process, right? It's, Absolutely. It's a progress thing. Yeah. We've actually recently made some changes to our onboarding. What we were finding was there's a lot of like tactical and administrative items that do just have to happen as part of our onboarding. We need account access. We need to create some dashboards. We need set up a Slack channel, all of these different things. But in addition to that, there's also some really important strategic work that has to happen. We need to really internalize what is this company offering? Who is their ideal customer? What are their brand guidelines? How are we going to assimilate all of this information into creating a strategy for the first set of campaigns that we're going to run for them? And so one of the things that we did recently, well, what was interesting is we kind of mushed all of that together for a while. And because of a lot of the tactical stuff, it was diminishing a lot of the value of the strategic work. And so I've tried to create some separation and like, okay, here's a pre-onboarding phase where... Let's, I'm going to be real with you. This is just a checklist of stuff we need to get done, right? Let's get this stuff done. You know, you have enough time to complete it. And then when we have the kickoff call, we've given the team enough time to ingest all of that information and we can spend the bulk of the kickoff call really presenting and discussing the strategy instead of getting mired down into a lot of the tactical details. And that's really important, right? You know, they've made a big commitment to work with us. It's an investment on their part. And we want that first call to be you know, exciting. And like, they see that we can be a great strategic partner. They're on board with the plan. They can give some input and not be too bogged down with admin or tactical items. The other piece of it is that time to value. So we aim to get all of our customers first batch of campaigns launched within four to six weeks. And so there's a lot of activity happening in that first six weeks with a customer. And that's a key delivery milestone that acts as a point of recognized value. And then the way that we've structured our engagements right now, we basically do monthly business reviews. And this is where we're able to surface up results, trends, insights, observations, recommendations, so that we can continue to you know, build their demand gen engine. And then once that's in a good place, layer on additional growth levers. And so how we conduct those reviews are really critical. This is actually a piece that I've been thinking about and we're going to be tackling this year about how we can tell a much more compelling story and really focus on the metrics that matter. There's so much data and so many things that you can cover. And so how do you tell that story in a way without overwhelming them with data, but showing the right ones that matter the most, that tell the story that are going to be the things we want to look at that that's going to drive future strategy decisions. And so we have a pretty good process in place, but there's absolutely opportunity for us to kind of continue to improve and rethink some of these areas. And another thing that I'm thinking about is, you know, it takes a little bit of time for our campaigns to start to generate pipeline and revenue. And so starting to think of what are some other things that we can provide to our customers that 
gives value while we're waiting for some of these things to play out. And so been testing, for example, I've been running like dark social consulting sessions with some of our clients in their first few months, showing them how they can launch a podcast or dominate the LinkedIn platform, right? And so that's strategic value that we're adding that they're able to then leverage. They have to take it and run with it, right? We're not going to do that for them, but we're giving them the valuable information. And so that's been really well received when that becomes a like a, a bit of an extra that a client can enjoy. You guys are so thoughtful. I just love it. I just absolutely love it. I really like how you mentioned the onboarding, you know, given that I also think about that, right? Like for new clients, there's just stuff that needs to get done. There's just information that needs to be exchanged, right? Can that be done prior to kickoff? That is so smart because then what you're going to have that first call with them, you want to get them excited. It makes so much sense. Mm -hmm. I love it. I think that folks listening to this call will appreciate that too and just how thoughtful you are to onboarding new customers and thinking about their experience. I think the idea of like as a CS leader, you think about voice of the customer. Like I can tell. I can tell that that's, that's, your, that's your number one goal. It's not about the company, it's about the customer and everything ties back into that. How do you make the experience better? How do you make the process better and easier? And how do you give them value along the entire funnel? So fun. Love it. <laughs> Tell me about, you're a human first leader. You embrace a human first leadership approach. And that's part of the reason why, like, I love coming to the demand gen live sessions. I didn't mention that at the beginning of the episode, but I basically see Megan weekly, right? <laughs> in the Tuesday night sessions. Mm -hmm. And I get that very like human first approach. I mean, to be on there with Chris coming every single week and bringing topics and answering questions, that's very much human first. That's very much like what topics, what matters to these people that, you know, these community, right? It's very much human first. So what does it mean to you? Mm -hmm to be human first. I hope we're human first, not robot first or something else first, <laughs> alien first. What would you say are your top one or two leadership lessons that you can share here? Yeah, absolutely. And so even the as you were leading up to this topic and talking about you know customer success and putting your customers first, I will often actually say I put my team first, then my customers, then the company. And because at the end of the day, the reality is, is your team is typically the actual people that are interacting with your customers. And if there's anything a wrong there or a miss there, or they're getting burnt out, your customer is going to feel that, right? And so creating the conditions for them to perform well, to like their job, to be challenged, to be excited about working with the customers that they have, that's really critical for the customer to also have a good experience. It's nice you bring up like the DGL community. I think one of the things that like I like to just like remind people of it's like a business or a company is literally just a group of people that have agreed to work together <laughs> to achieve an outcome. Right. And anytime you have people in the mix, like we are all human and there are basic human needs that if you're able to meet them, you get the best out of people. And so, you know, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right. There's like the core survive, like food, water, shelter, right? But then there's like having meaning and community, having connection. Like I actually think humor is a great way to connect with people. I make a joke internally, like if you have a meeting with me 
and I don't make you laugh, like that's a bad meeting. (laughs) Because like we should have some fun, right? And enjoy each other's company. Like I think the reason why Chris and I make such a good team is because he has such a, a strong and compelling vision for what we're trying to do at Refine Labs. And then I can complement that vision with an intense focus on our people and our customers and really understanding the emotional experience that they are feeling when they interact with our company, our leadership team, our customers. And when you combine both of those together, it's a really powerful experience, right? Because as a human, I feel connected to something bigger than myself. I am part of a team that's going to you know, change the game. How exciting is that? I'm surrounded by talented people. I'm going to learn and grow personally, but I also feel psychologically safe and that I can show up as who I am. I can make a mistake. I can ask a tough question and have that be well-received. And all of those things really matter to people. And so for me, like I've gone through phases of my career where I've been trying to like get promoted to the C-suite or make X amount of money or do this or that. And I've just realized how shallow that feeling of achievement really is. It's like, it never feels as good as you think it will. And when you help someone learn something or support someone during a tough time or give someone an opportunity to do something that they've never done before, help them in their personal or professional growth, that is so exciting and that is so rewarding. And at the end of the day, like that's how you also build trust and loyalty and alignment with people. And so for me, I've realized like through all of the noise, like if you just act with integrity and respect and you treat people well, that so many other things just will fall into place. So like it's a key thing for me. Yeah, I think I also agree that you complement each other. And I would also say that Chris is a visionary, like he knows what he wants. He wants to go out and get it. And you're kind of like complimenting with the focus on people. Some of the startups that I bring onto the show, like I brought on Kite onto the show. I think they're Series B now, K-Y-T-E. And the founder came and said, like, he's investing in himself to tell a better story. Because he realizes that it is so important as a founder, as part of the exec team, somebody's got to do it. Mm -hmm. Like you just either you invest in yourself to get better at it or it comes naturally to you, but it has to be part of your job, right? Absolutely. Yep. So I'm hearing the same thing coming from you. Like somebody's got to do it. (laughs) It's a really important part of being, you know, like human first leader and riling up the team and like we're all in this together and through the tough times which are going to come right we're still all in this together absolutely yeah and that's like i was actually i've been reading this interesting book lately that talks about incorporating like elements from like movies like the hero's journey and into business storytelling and talks a lot about how stories specifically like it's a way that throughout human history People have like shared information come together. Like it's just a very powerful mechanism. I totally agree. All right. Well, 2022 is here and we're already what, two weeks in? I can't believe it. It's like before we know it, it's going to be 2023, but let's not talk about that. So what are some goals that you want to accomplish? Maybe on a personal level, maybe more professional level. Like what are some goals for you, Megan, this year? 
Yeah, definitely. So I would say like on a professional level, we are at a really pivotal point within the journey of Refine Labs. We have about 70 people at the company and very possible we'll be at about 200 by the end of the year. And so this is a really important year to continue to really build the foundations for scale. And so a lot of that is bringing in a lot of other leaders, you know, kind of delegating and empowering others, thinking about process and systems and really planning for the future. So I've done this before, but this is like a new context that I'm, that I'm in, which is really exciting. And so I think it's my goal, I think for Refine Labs is that by the end of the year, I have like let go of a lot of the stuff that I'm doing because we have built out different teams and leaders and systems and process so that the business can continue to flourish and operate. It's like building that machine and then you can kind of step away and the machine continues to operate without you having to be there. And so we're at that stage, which is always a really exciting stage to be in. And I think personally, I am really excited to kind of continue on my own journey of it's been really fun. One of the things I've done at Refine Labs very specifically has been investing a lot in content development for our employer brand and really thinking about what it means to, you know, build a great place to work. I've been using the phrase talent destination for fun. And so I think personally I'm really trying to like codify and clarify my point of view on this. I love to write and so I don't know if it's going to be a book or something, but like I have so many of these different thoughts. I've been posting all these ideas on LinkedIn, but I I really want to almost try to codify and like clarify my point of view on this. And like, if I could write a book, that would be cool. Or maybe launch a new podcast on this topic. But I think personally, like I want to talk about this more because I think, I hope that people see what we're doing at Refine Labs as an example of how they could build their company. And I want to start to try to like put a lot of that out there to have a broader impact beyond our company to maybe see other founders think about things the way that me and Chris do so that more people can be a part of just better work environments. And I think that's so timely that were you always interested in this or is this something that's just come about because of the time that we're in? Like there's so many people out there that are high quality, like lots of talent, lots of open roles. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're not taking them because there's so many good options out there. And now people are rethinking, like, what is it that I want to do? We spend so much time at work. How do I want to spend that time? Who do I want to spend that time with? Yep, exactly. So is this something new? Not really. I think prior to me and Chris teaming up, I was kind of a bit disillusioned with a lot of experiences that I had had with massive layoffs or poor decision-making or unrealistic goal setting and seeing how those decisions like really negatively impacted lots of people. And it was like, I cannot be part of this anymore. My conscious cannot take it. My heart hurts. (laughs) And so it was like, there has to be a better way. Right. And when Chris and I teamed up, one of the things that I had told him was, like, I want to build a company in the way I like, we believe it should be built. Like, I don't want someone to tell us what to do. I don't want to like make decisions that are not in the best interest of our team. And so this has always been really top of mind for me. And everything that we've done at Refine Labs has had that guiding principle of we're going to do it the right way. We're going to show people. I think what I didn't know at first was maybe exactly what that meant, you know? And so as I've been going through the process, I've been able to really like, it's been a clarifying process to me. Like, oh, like that 
really matters. That doesn't matter as much. Like, whoops, made that mistake. <laughs> or like, you know, or, oh, I did that really good. And so that's what I meant this year of almost like codifying it and clarifying it. Like, I knew I wanted to do this and I've had almost, almost, you know, year and a half or plus experience kind of building something from the ground up. And I really have a strong sense now of like what I actually am doing to achieve that. And so I want to like package that up and be like, here, if this is what you want to build, like this is the playbook, this is how you do it and be as specific and tactical as possible. So people can take that and realize it's not, none of it is that complicated. It's just, it just takes work and intentionality, you know? Intention. I think that's what it really is, is the intention. Like when you set the intention and you put your focus into it, that's when you actually get stuff done. Well, I'll buy your book, Megan, (laughs) and you can call it Talent Destination if you want. That's not a bad title. Pretty good title. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on here and sharing a bit of a different lens. And I love this lens. I think it's so critical. It's so important, maybe misunderstood right? And you help to clear things up a little bit. So I super appreciate you coming on. For anybody that wants to reach Megan, she is talking about talent. She's developing content clearly on LinkedIn. Megan White Bowen, so you can find her there. And to find out more about Refine Labs, you can go to refinelabs.com. Thank you, Megan. Thanks, Anna. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of Modern Startup Marketing. New episodes are dropping weekly, so make sure you're following wherever you get your podcasts. You can find me on LinkedIn, search for Anna Firminov, or go to my website, firminovmarketing.com. Thanks for listening.